Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, church family, um, my name is Barrett, and I'm lead pastor here, and we are going to be able to continue, actually this morning, conclude our series, our little mini-series on giving called Beyond Giving. This morning is the last sermon in our series, and I'm excited to be able to teach it to you this morning. If you've got your Bible, I would encourage you to get it open with me. Uh, because there's a passage that I want you to turn to in Corinthians, and I'll tell you more about that in a second, but you can go ahead and get it open to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This morning, uh, as we conclude our series, I believe that this message is as relevant and important as any of the other messages from the series. We've gotten so much great feedback from you uh, on just the real transformative impact of this series in our hearts and lives, and I'm so thankful for the movement that we've seen already uh, from the series. But this morning, I, I wanna just ask a question that I know appeals to your heart uh, as we start, and that is, what will your legacy be? I know many of us, we think about our lives intentionally, and we think about our lives strategically, and I know many of us yearn deep down. We're made in the image of God. Of course we should learn, yearn for this. We should yearn for our lives to count. What, what will our lives count for? Truly. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, beyond your life, what will your impact be? What will the story be told of your life? What will your legacy be? The things that you've invested in, like what fruit will they bear beyond your years? Uh, another way of thinking about this and this morning more relevant to the message of the day is, is this, what lasting impact will you have particularly with your money? Have you ever thought about that? With the resources that God has entrusted to you, what, what impact beyond this life will your money actually have? What kind of impact do you want it to have? This morning, we're going to be wrestling with some of these questions around legacy and around impact as we lean into God and what he speaks to us. We lean into Jesus and what he teaches us about money. We've been in this series called Beyond Giving because what we've been talking about again and again and again is that ultimately, God is not chasing the cash in our pockets. We've been saying it's beyond giving because it's beyond just like the amount of money that we give or what's needed or required of you to give. We've been looking at a theme verse in the series from Matthew, chapter 6, verse 21, and the verse says this. Y'all can read it with me. We've been looking at it week after week. Just this teaching of Jesus. He says this. Y'all read it with me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is teaching that there's a direct connection between what we do with our money and where our hearts are. And so what he's Helping us see again and again and again as we've been going through this series and looking at his word is this. God is not chasing our money, but rather he's chasing our hearts. God is not chasing our money, but he's chasing our hearts. Because God knows how connected your hearts are with your money, he says, I want to talk to you about your money. Because money sets itself up as a really bad alternative to God. Money sets itself up as a substitute for God. You can easily look to money for what you should really be looking to God for, both in terms of your satisfaction, but also your security, your sense of joy, and today we'll be talking about your purpose. You can easily look to money to provide something that you really should be looking to God to provide. So Jesus looks at you in the eyes and he goes, I want to talk to you about your money. It's not because I'm cash poor. It's not because I'm desperate. It's not because of some scheme. It's not some cash grab here. You're saying, I want to talk to you about your money because ultimately I care about your heart. And I cannot talk to you about your heart unless I talk to you about your money because they're so intertwined. Again and again, he's going after our hearts. So we've been looking at in this series, and if you missed any week, I would highly encourage you, 
to go back and make sure you're getting all the building blocks of this series because they really are each so important. Um, but we've been looking again and again at some of these things that Jesus is chasing in our heart. And if you've got notes from the last few weeks, you could probably remember these. This will be the last time you hear it as time to review. We've been using these symbols. But on the first week, we talked about how Jesus is chasing worship from our hearts. And that's part of why he wants to talk to us about money. It's because he wants us to know how he is generous toward us. He's inviting us to be generous. And part of that is because he's wanting us to see how generous he has been toward us. Jesus is chasing our worship. Secondly, we looked at how Jesus is chasing our trust, how God is chasing our hearts. And one of the things he's wanting us to do is to let loose of money that we might learn to trust him more. It's not easy to give, especially to give the first part of your money away. Why is he asking us to do that? It's because he's after our hearts. He's wanting us to trust not in the money that comes in our account, but rather to trust him who is our good and perfect provider. And by asking us to give, he's inviting us to grow in trust and dependence upon him. Last week, we looked at how he's chasing our stewardship. We looked at his clear teachings that we are not owners, but managers. And really, in giving, he's inviting us to learn what it looks like to live all of our life in submission to him. To, to honor him with what he gives and to, you, to really trust and believe that the way that he wants us to use money is best and to follow him in that way, learning to be better managers, better stewards of the resources he's given us. So again, if you missed any of those, you could go back and catch up online uh, on the podcast or on YouTube. But this morning, what I would love to do is to finish the series by looking at this question of legacy and particularly, the word we'll use today as we look at what Jesus is chasing in our hearts is impact, all right? Is impact. How God is actually chasing our hearts and wanting us from our hearts to really live for what matters most. This morning's sermon, if you're taking notes, I hope everyone will, because there's a lot today that I really believe God wants to speak to you, and I really desire for you not just to be uh, listening this morning, but to be living in the things that are taught and ultimately to be one who teaches these things to others in your life, whether it's your children, whether it's your friends, whether it's your community group or other believers that you'll have the chance to disciple. You'll be able to look back at these notes and help them to know what God has helped you to know. So this morning, today's sermon is called Giving Grows Impact. And our base text is going to be from 1 Corinthians. We, I told you to turn to chapter 8. Our base text will be 8, but then the real heart of it is chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. So if there's one passage I want you to write down, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. And our main point this morning that kind of summarizes the heart of God in this passage and my heart in preaching this message is this. Through giving, we are invited to use our money in light of eternity, to maximize kingdom return and reward. So through giving, God is appealing to your heart. And he's speaking to you, saying, hey, like, I, I want you to actually use your money in a way that like, matters the most. I want you to think about this question of legacy. I want you to think about this question of impact. And I want you to think about it in light of what I am teaching you about how I've created you and how I've created resources to be used. I actually am asking you to give and in asking you to give, I'm inviting you to use your money in a way that will yield maximum return and maximum reward in light of eternity. That's the heart of the message today. And we'll see it as we go uh, through the text. I'm going to give you um, three principles this morning, all right? And I really believe if you can learn these principles and live in these principles financially, then you can live in a way that actually has, you have great financial impact, if you live in these biblical principles that we're gonna be looking at this morning, all right? So for the opportunity for greatest giving impact and greatest joy, I'm gonna give you these three principles, all right? Anybody here want great impact and joy in how they use their money? 
Anybody here? Okay. So if you want great impact and you want great joy, then you got to learn these three things. Number one is this. The first principle is give the maximum, not the minimum. Give the maximum and not the minimum. First Corinthians chapter eight. I already asked you to turn there and so we're gonna jump right in. I'm gonna start in verse one and then I'm gonna read through verse 14 and then we're gonna hop over to chapter nine starting in verse six. This is God's word. He says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed and a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus as, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and that there may be fairness. If you will, skip over to chapter nine, verse six. Paul takes some brief asides, but he picks back up on this theme that we just were looking at in chapter eight here in chapter nine, verse six. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is maybe able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, and he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the, excuse me, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his 
inexpressible gift. This is God's word. I don't know if you've ever read this passage before, but it is an incredible encouragement for us to be generous, for us to give generously. I say in this point here, uh, the first principle, if you want to really have great impact in your giving and great joy in your giving, you've got to learn to give the maximum and not the minimum. And the reason is because this passage, if you look at it, you guys, here's the call, right? Our call on this passage is generosity. That is clear. What Paul's saying to the churches that he's writing to and what he's saying through them to us, is, hey, guys, like, I, I, need you to, I need you to get something. Like, God has made you. He has called you. He has wired you to be generous. Like, he has enriched you in every way so that you can turn around and enrich others in every way. He has been generous to you so that you can be generous back toward him and toward others. Guys, don't, don't hoard what you have, but, but give it. Be generous with it. If you look back at the passage, he appeals to the gospel itself there in chapter eight, verse nine. And this is the verse, you guys, that we looked at in the very first week of the series, the week we were talking about worship. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for your sake, he impoverished himself so that you who were in poverty, who had nothing, could become rich. Don't you see the generosity of the Lord Jesus. Everything you have is because he gave, and not just a little bit, he gave it all. He wasn't just stingy, he didn't give part of what he had, he gave all of what he had. He looked at your need and he said, yes, like I'll take care of you. He gave himself to you, sacrificially and generously. Don't you know the grace that you've been given? And then he works off of that, and if you look as the passage goes on, In chapter nine, verse 11, he goes, don't you see that like he's given you this grace, he's enriched you in this way so that it wouldn't stop with you. Like he was generous with you and he still is generous with you. But don't you see that there's a purpose to that? Yes, you can be a recipient of that and that's the only way to be saved is to be a receiver of what he gives. But don't let it stop with you. Understand that what he's given to you is meant to flow through you. His generosity in your life is meant to produce a generosity through your life. He has given to you richly so that you might give to him and others richly. He's appealing to them to change their behavior. Don't act like the world acts with money. And the appeal of the behavioral change is coming from the heart change that they have knowing the generosity and grace of God. Because of your heart change, let your life change. He goes on in verse 13, and he says, this generosity is rooted in the confession of the gospel of Christ. This generosity of contribution for them and all others is rooted in your very confession. Don't tell me that you know a generous God if you yourself are not generous. He's saying, let your confession of the generosity of God move you into submission to be generous as he has been generous toward you. Very interesting. And then he says in verse 15, you've done this, they've done this, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. In other words, when you know God in this way, And when he touches your heart and you've given grace in this way, it will always manifest in your life through generosity. So our call is a call to be generous. Our passion then, here it is. This is the summary of kind of Corinthians 8 and 9. He's saying, let your passion be this. Let it be to realize increasing opportunities to give generously as God has given to you. Like, let this be what motivates your your money management. You should constantly be going, how could I figure out how to manage money in a way that allows my money to like show how generous my God has been to me? Let me think about what I have through that lens. God has given me everything. 
How then could I, how, how could I manage my money? How could I use my resources in a way that helps to reflect that I know a God who has been generous with me? Practically, your budget, your, your proportions, how much is going out the door to different stuff of what is coming in, it should reflect, your practical budget should reflect that you know a generous God. That's, that's the growing passion of those who are maturing in grace. Paul's saying, let that be you. Another way to say this, um, I come up with these little quirky things and I had a lot of time on the airplanes this week, so you're welcome. Um, know his generosity, then show his generosity, all right? In other words, if you know it, if you know his generosity in your life, then show it. Let it be, let it be evident in how you spend your money. Give the maximum and not the minimum. That's the first principle, okay? Give the maximum and not the minimum. Now, here is a, here's the shift that I think God is trying to make. And I really believe this is one of the greatest growth areas for most of us in this room. I really believe this, especially those of us who have more of a religious mindset and we think about rule keeping. Any rule keepers in here? All right. I don't, I know there's rebels, but I know there's a lot of rule keepers too. A lot of us, we just want to know, okay, just tell me, just tell me what I need to give. All right. A few weeks ago when uh, we taught on tithe, I got a lot of feedback. I said, thank you so much. Thank you for walking me through. Nobody's ever discipled me into knowing just the basics of what giving looks like. Just the, the plain teaching of, hey, the first 10% of what God has given is actually holding to the Lord. Just before you do anything else with any income you have, just give that first 10% and that's a tithe and you're fulfilling that, that basic biblical instruction that Jesus does not rescind, but actually affirms. Man, so many of us are like, that is great. Like, it is great to be able to like, just know what God desires and to just do it, right? And we just feel very comfortable knowing that the tithe is there, knowing that we can give it, and just doing that. But here's the thing. I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable now. I told you a few weeks ago that the tithe is a training wheels. It's like training wheels on a bike. It's the starting point of giving. It's the floor, but it's not the ceiling. The discomfort, and I say discomfort, it's really joy, but it's a little bit of discomfort because it's not gonna be as clear and plain. The discomfort of the Corinthians teaching, of the, really the entire New Testament teaching on giving is this. That what God wants for us from our hearts, and again, this is about God pursuing our hearts. He is wanting to transform something in our hearts. And here's the transformation. A transformation from thinking of giving as minimum requirement and then shifting in our hearts to actually desiring to see giving as maximum opportunity. So the shift is thinking about so many of us, we just go, what's the minimum? What, like, what, is, what do I have to give? Okay, the 10%, okay, that's good. I'll give 10%, the rest is mine. I'll just use it how I want to. That's the starting point, being able to give that first portion. And that is good. And if you're doing that, I do not want to do anything but celebrate, encourage, and affirm you. God sees your heart. He sees your life. And he promises to bless those who honor him. And that is honoring him. I am not in any way diminishing the goodness of the tithe. But you've got to see that that's just the starting point. As we grow in maturity, what God wants us to, to be thinking about is not just what is the minimum I have to give, but rather, what is the maximum that I could give? Another way for us to say this is our desire to have should never surpass our desire to give. That is God's heart for you. He's looking into your heart and he's going, do you have a heart that's more, thinking more about what I can have or do you have a heart that's thinking more about what could I give? Where is your heart? Is it in the retainment mentality? Like how much can I keep? Or is it the generosity mentality? How much can I give? And in fact, those are the, that's the other shift that we can make. If you want to make this very, very practical, just ask yourself, which, which one of these do I live in? Which mentality do I live in? 
Do you live in the mentality of how little can I give so I can keep more for myself? Or do you live in the mentality of how little can I keep so I can give more for others? It's a big shift. And only you know, and God knows your real heart. Where, what is your perspective? What's your framework for money? Is it thinking about what you can keep or is it thinking about what you can give? And, and this morning, I, I know it's challenging perhaps to, to think on this, but I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to think on it because God gives grace to change our hearts. And he appeals to you as you go, oh, this is a little uncomfortable because that means there's, there's like, where does that end? Well, it, it doesn't, there, there's no set ending to that. Like, he's just encouraging you to, like, give more and more and more. Give as much as you are able. That's the encouragement he's giving the church. And, but he's asking you to do that, not out of just trying to beat yourself up over it, but by gazing upon Jesus. He's saying, aren't you grateful that you have a God that didn't sit in heaven going, well, how much could I keep for myself? As he looked upon your need. But rather, though he had everything to keep for himself, he didn't hold anything back. He looked upon your need as greater than his own and he gave up everything that you might have what you need when you had nothing. Oh, what grace God has given us. How generous he's been with us. And if you are thankful in an ever-increasing ways for the grace of Jesus, then here's what'll happen. In your heart or with your money, you're gonna go, man, oh man, I wanna live like that. <laughs> I don't wanna be stingy. I don't wanna be a hoarder. I don't wanna be thinking just about me, myself, and I, what I can keep, what I can do. I wanna be thinking just like God thought of me. I wanna be thinking about him and I wanna be thinking about others. God, I want to have the mindset of how much potential do I actually have to give money away? For some of us, we could, we could easily give 20%. We could perhaps give 30%. What if over the course of your life, you desired to grow exponentially and how much of your money you could give away? The typical pattern in America is as you make more, you just spend more. Your spending just grows to the size of whatever income you have in any given season. But we're not called to live according to culture. We're called to live according to the gospel. And we got to be a people that lives counterculture that goes, you know what? Just because I have more doesn't mean I need to spend more. Maybe God is giving me more for the opportunity to give more. That is a gospel framework. So the heart of God is to say, hey, to you, one of the principles I want you to embrace for great impact and also for increasing joy is to learn to give the maximum, not the minimum, because that's how I've given to you. Amen? Second principle. You ready for it? So the first principle was give the max, not the minimum. And I guess the question I could ask before I go to the second one is just, you know, what are you going to think? How are you going to think? You know, I want you to wrestle with this in your groups this week, in your own personal time with God. Write this down in your notes. You know, where is your thinking in terms of the potential to keep or give away? Just be honest about that. Wrestle with that in your groups this week or in your quiet times with the Lord and really ask the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. And if there's room to grow, just say, God, I need to grow. Would you give me more grace? Would you help me fix my eyes on you more? All right? Second principle is this. For great impact in giving and also for ever-increasing joy. The second principle is this. Invest in kingdom causes that will last into eternity. If you want to have a great impact in giving, and if you want increasing joy in your giving journey, here's what I'm going to tell you. You got to figure this one out. Oh, and this was a fun one. You got to figure out how to practically align your budget to use your money in a way that does this. You're going to invest, all right? Many of us know the principle of investment with money, but here's what you got to think about. I've got to invest in kingdom causes. In other words, when we say kingdom causes, we're talking about things that are on God's heart. I got to invest in things of God, the things that I know align with his will and his work in our world. 
kingdom causes. I've got to invest in kingdom causes that will last into eternity. That's the second principle. Y'all got it? Okay. Um, mom is here. My mom's dad. I call him Papa. His name is Loy, but I call him Papa. My Papa is still alive. He is one of my life's heroes. He is an amazing man of God. And God has blessed him. He wasn't always able to have what he has now. He has uh, invested well over the years financially, and he's got means uh, to be able to do uh, more now than he did in the season that I'm going to tell you about. But one of the things that I always knew my papa to be was a generous man. And papa inspired me to be generous. When he had very little, he was given everything away. He say this over and over and over, and he would mentor and coach and disciple everybody in his life, and especially his grandkids, especially me. I was the only grand boy. And he'd tell me about things. He said, you know, Barrett, we didn't have a lot, blah, 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 but so-and-so came, and, or he owned some houses. He said they couldn't pay rent this month. He said, but the right thing to do is just to, just to let that, just to, let, just to be generous with them and just to let that go. You know? And he'd always tell me their stories, and he'd show me their needs. And he'd always look at me, and as he gave, he'd say, Barrett, you can't outgive God. Can't outgive God. And he taught me this principle. He said it directly over and over and over. He said, the best thing you can do with your money is give it away. That's what he'd say over and over and over. He said, Barrett, the very best thing you can do with your money is give it away. He said, I have more fun when I give than anything else I do with my money. And he meant it. He'd give the shirt off his back if, if you needed a shirt. He is just a generous man through and through, known all throughout his community and for his generosity. But from his generosity comes from his love of Jesus and Jesus' generosity toward him. I know that. But he's thinking practically here. He's talking about real money. And he didn't have much at the time. But he's saying the best thing, the most fun thing that I do with my money week to week is find ways to give it away. And I'm telling y'all here, this is the heart of Jesus. I told you a few weeks ago, we were talking about how money sets itself as an alternative to God and that week about trust, that money in and of itself is neither bad nor good. What our hearts do with money is what makes it bad or good. And I told you, money makes a really bad master, all right? So money is bad if it becomes the hope of our hearts. It makes a bad master. The love of money is the root of all evil. So your heart chasing money, hoping in money, actually, that is a bad thing. But money has great potential to be good. Money is bad if it's the hope of our heart, but it's good if, we, if it doesn't go to our heart, but rather can be a tool of our hands. God intends for money to be good. Money can be very helpful for the kingdom of God. Money is very needful for things that advance his cause on earth. Money is incredibly needful in the lives, life of our church, in the life of the needs of other people. Money can do incredible good. So money is neutral. Bad if it's the hope of our heart, but good if it's a tool of our hands. Has anybody ever met with a financial advisor? Have you ever heard of a financial advisor? Okay, so some of us uh, who have careers, perhaps your uh, employer provides some investment opportunities for you or retirement opportunities for you, and goodness knows, 501, 401, CO3, I don't even know all these. You know, you, you, you just, your eyes go crossed if you, if you get into this stuff and you don't know I'm talking, I mean, know what you're talking about, right? And you gotta have somebody to sit with you and go, for crying out loud, what am I supposed, what am I supposed to do here? It, it gets complicated. Can I get a witness to that? It can get complicated. And so they have these folks, financial advisors, sometimes they're provided through investment uh, firms, sometimes you can go out and hire them or whatever. But a financial advisor is gonna help you think around financial planning. And typically, if you go for a first meeting, they'll sit you down and they'll basically talk to you and, and tell you two things in financial planning. First, they'll talk about, hey, you gotta think ahead. All right, what are your goals? You gotta identify your goals. 
you know, you want your kids to go to college, you want to retire at the age of 62, uh, you want to have X amount of dollars in your account by X year. What are your goals? You got to think ahead, you got to outline your goals, and you got to plan accordingly. Anybody heard your financial advisor talk about that? Anybody? Yes. Okay. So you understand what I'm talking about. And second, they're going to say, all right, now we've got to figure out how to invest your money in a way that's going to yield its greatest uh, value and lasting value so that it's there by the time these these goals, these benchmark dates come about, okay? Those are the two things that they're going to be talking to you about. Now, Jesus also talks to you about those two things. And one of the things that burdens me as a pastor, and even just as a son of God and a Christian, is we've got to go in with, with gospel perspective, with biblical frameworks as we're answering these questions. It's not bad to have a financial advisor ask you the questions, but the, what I'm wondering is, do your answers reflect God's heart and God's will? Because the way we answer these two things is actually really different than the way most people who don't know the Lord, who don't understand the kingdom of God, who don't have a perspective of eternity, it's going to be different. So for instance, um, if you look at Jesus' plain teaching, maybe if you've got your Bible, you can flip over to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12, verse 33. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. There's just a note on the screen that is telling me that I've been up here saying 1 Corinthians and it's second. <laughs> Thank you for your grace and generosity toward me and not even recognizing that I had misquoted. I'm going to blame that on jet lag, okay? So, uh, thank you for your grace. You got there, right? Okay, you knew I wasn't, like, just making up scripture. (laughs) Thank you. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Um, Jesus says this. He says, this is radical. I mean, this is just... It's like crazy. How many of you, when you read verses like this, you go, oh, he was talking to somebody else. He must not be talking to me. And because of our discomfort, we just read over it quickly, go, that must be culturally understood. (laughs) Definitely not for 2024. So I'm going to go buy my new flat screen. You know, it's going to be good. I got my new car picked out, my new neighborhood, all that. You know, like this is a tough one. All right. So Jesus looks at you in 2024 and he says this, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus is the greatest financial advisor in the world. He knows money better than you know money and better than your guru that you talk to about your finances. Your guru is likely going to just try to make money for you and make it last for this lifetime for your benefit. And Jesus is going, be careful. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. Be careful. Think beyond you and think beyond this life. In fact, divest of what you have. Be careful not to just hoard it up for yourselves. In fact, Give yourself to generosity. Divest of it. Think in light of my kingdom and think in light of eternity because that's where the reward is. You want to talk about return on investment and reward, you've got to think about me and about heaven. So the way we answer these two questions in financial planning is different. As we think about the first one, thinking ahead, identifying goals, planning accordingly, our perspective is eternity. Our perspective as we go in and we think about how we're going to invest our money is we've got to think ahead, yes. But your financial advisor is going to be telling you to think ahead about the next 30 years or about the next 40 years. And Jesus is saying, yes, think ahead, but think about eternity. Think beyond 30, 40 years. Think about what's going to happen after you die. Think about what's going to happen after your TV is gone or after the college education wears out or after your souls meet the Father. (laughs) Think about eternity. Psalm 39, 4 to 6. 
He says, oh Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you've made my days a few hand breaths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. 2 Peter 3 speaks to this. James chapter 4, verse 14 speaks to this. Psalm 103 speaks to this. Isaiah 40 speaks to this. He's saying, look, this life is short. You should be praying, oh God, would you help me to see how brief life is and help me to see how long eternity is and help me to live accordingly. God, would you help me? Would you help me not be like we looked at a few weeks ago at the parable Luke 16. Help me not be like the one who stores up for himself, who's doing all the things the, the financial advisors tell you to do. And in the end, you've gotten all your goals met financially for yourself, but then you, your soul goes to meet God and God goes, you fool. You fool. Well, what, did you, what were you thinking? You, you store up all that for yourself. Now, whose will all that be? John Rockefeller, after he died, somebody asked his accountant, how much did he leave? And his accountant said, all of it. You fool. You think you're going to pull a U-Haul behind your hair? You're not. You can't take it with you. But rather, if you were to have been rich toward God, oh, great would your reward have been on the investments. Where are you going to invest? Invest in light of eternity. How many of us are thinking that way? Are using an eternal framework? Randy Alcorn says, the devotion, the newspaper, to the newspaper and the neglect of the Bible is ultimate testimony to our short-range interest instead of our long-range. You could substitute social media for our day, right? We fail to ask how expensive clothes, toys, trips, etc., will serve eternal purposes. Oh God, would you teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In the Bible, our central business in this life is preparing for the next. Do we think from eternal framework? As we answer the second question about thinking ahead, identifying goals, planning accordingly, we, we, we think about well, what would, what investments would have greatest lasting value then if we're thinking in light of eternity. And the answer to that question is kingdom things, kingdom causes. That, that's what investments matter in light of eternity. So if you think about the Lord's prayer, Matthew chapter six, what does he say for us to pray? He says for us to pray, God, your kingdom come. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God, would you align my heart with what matters most for eternity. God, I care about you. I care about the things that are on your heart. I care about your ways. I care about your will, God. Would you bring your kingdom, would your rule and reign come into my heart? And would you allow that to extend into other hearts? Would you give me, God, an ambition for the things that matter to you? Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Could you pray that as you swipe every time? your card? Could you pray that as you're setting your budget? I mean, sincerely, God, would your kingdom come with each swipe? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? If that makes you feel funny, then you're using money in a way that is not God's way. If you can't pray that prayer with each swipe of the card, then something is off and you need to realign your finances and your financial priorities. If you can't look at your budget and say, 
over your budget as you're setting in each month or maybe each quarter, year. I don't know how you do it, but God, would your kingdom come in the way that I'm managing my money? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? God, would my budget reflect your heart and your ways? Would it reflect the advancement, investments that reflect the advancement of your kingdom? If your budget doesn't align like that, you've got you've to just practically reevaluate. You've got to. What, is it, what are the things that matter in the kingdom? What are kingdom causes that matter? Well, souls being saved. You know, how are you investing in helping other people know Jesus Christ? Like genuinely, how's your money connecting with that? People being helped, like Matthew 25, he's, you know, when you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me. How is your budget reflecting you investing in people who are in deep need actually getting the help that they need? Before you go buy something else for yourself when you already have enough, how about you think about giving to someone who doesn't even have enough yet? How about the people of the world, the people of the city that are destitute and poor? How about they make their way into your budget? How about your money connect to practically helping them? The spread of the gospel around the world. When we live in a world today, friends, as John Piper talks about in one of his books, he said so many of us are sitting on the Titanic, listening to the violins play, pretending like the ship is not sinking. As it relates to the state of the world today, almost half of the people in the world live in a place where there is no church and Christian witness. They do not know Jesus. They've not heard of Jesus. And we've got to realize 2024, there is great need and disparity in the world. Wake up. Let your money reflect things that matter in this world. Your TV will one day break, but the soul's who are sitting on the other side of the world who have not heard of Jesus, they will live for eternity. And whether they live apart from God or with God forever depends on whether or not they can get a mission and mission witness, a gospel witness. And that gospel witness is fueled by our giving. Let our giving matter for the gospel spreading, for churches being planted. It matters here in the city. It matters around the world. For churches growing, it matters These are kingdom things. These are things that are related to the souls of people and the true needs of the world. These are things that are on God's heart, things that will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I'm wondering, does your money align with things that last? I'm encouraging you in the second principle to invest in kingdom causes that will last into eternity. And I'm urging you to live like my papa. You can't outgive God. And the best thing you can do with your money is what? Give it away. It's the best thing you can do. C.S. Lewis says this if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. Those who do the most for the present world are those who think the most of the next, and that is the appeal of Jesus. Sell what you have, give it away. Buy for yourselves things that cannot rust, that cannot be destroyed. Invest in the kingdom of God. The question in this point is, will you be short-sighted or long-sighted in your financial perspective and decisions? I can't answer that question, only you know. But I'm asking, for you to walk into your financial advisor and for you to be their boss, okay? Can you do that? Can you remember that you're the client? They're gonna tell you to make a 30, 40 year plan and you look them in the face and say, I care about the next 34 years and having the basics of what I need, but what I really care about is the opportunity to be generous for things beyond this life. So I would like for you to set a plan for me to grow in wealth that I might grow in generosity for things that matter for the kingdom of God. You be the boss. Are you good with that? Countercultural, but it's the way of God. I close this morning by simply offering this third and final point and a final exhortation. And this is really the summary of the series and it's the summary of this sermon. It's where the rubber hits the road in terms of your practical next step. The third and final point of today's sermon is this. 
If you want to have great impact with your money and increase in joy, then you've got to learn to give collectively with others through the local church. You've got to learn to give collectively with others through the local church. In Acts chapter 4, verse 34 to 35, as we look at the New Testament and the way they were living and practicing, the scripture says there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. This is the New Testament pattern. It's repeated over and over in the Acts and we looked at the passage in Corinthians. It's repeated again and again. That people were bringing what they had and they were doing three things. They were submitting it. This is the picture of laying it at the feet. It was submitted. There was this idea of it being collective. It was being pulled together. And this idea also of it being effective. It was being directed by leaders. Y'all ever heard of a mutual fund? Yes? So the idea of a mutual fund is that, hey, financially, like we can actually all, we can figure out how to pool our money together. And the, the point of this is an in investment principles, it's like we can do more together than we can on our own. So we'll pool our money together. We'll have somebody who's really good at knowing what to do with money help to direct the fund. They will direct it toward investments that are significant returns. And together, if we pool our money together and it's directed in this really effective governance, then together there's, there's more potential for us to have return than there would be if I did that on my own. Everybody understand that, right? Giving through the New Testament is constantly instructed to be given through the local church. And the whole point of it, if you can think about it, giving to the local church is like giving to a mutual fund. It's an idea of going, hey, like, actually, we will do better if we give together. If we all come together, submit our tithe and our generosity, collect that together, pool it together, we have this lump sum, and then we get together and use the collective wisdom of leadership and our thinking together as a church around what are the best priorities for an ROI on our kingdom giving. Then together we invest in those things. Here's what happens. The return on investment together is greater than what any of us could do on our own. That's the whole heart of God in the New Testament as he instructs us to give. He's saying together we can give in a wiser way. Together we can give in a wider way and together we can give in a more willing way. We can give in a wiser way because, I mean, let's be honest. You really think, you know, uh, that you know best as it relates to wise use of money for kingdom things? I know that I don't. No, no single one of us. When we get together, we have wisdom with how to best use our money for kingdom purposes. We also have potential doing things together that we couldn't do if we just did them on our own. On your own, you couldn't have sent three guys to India last week to train 220, you guys. Do you know who showed up? 220 people showed up for the training. We expected 100. It was a wise investment for us to make, around six, $7,000 last week. Very few of us could have made that investment on our own but by pooling our money together, last week through the offering, we were able to invest six to $7,000 to get three people to the middle of nowhere in East India to be able to pour out into 200 church leaders so that they might learn for the very first time. We learned when we got there. Nobody had ever taught them Lamentations, not a single one. As a culture, they had never been told that they could express their emotions honestly to God. They were emotionally suppressed people in the midst of a land of persecution and poverty. What a gift for us as a church to pool our money together, to use wisdom in knowing who to partner with in India. It's hard to know who to trust, who has a sincere heart for God, who really is gonna be investing in the right people who will fuel kingdom work. It was a wise thing for us to do. And together, we got to do a wide impact kind of training. It was incredible to be able to see these men and women of God 
personally healed and helped, but also equipped to be able to go back and lead in their churches in such a suffering time. It was incredible. None of us could have done that on our own. Together, we could do that. That is what it looks like to, to, to give together. And it allows us to give in a more willing way because the very act of submission is good for our hearts to not stay in control of our money, but rather to submit it through the process of the local church. It is a good gift for our hearts, both in terms of our submission, but also our accountability. It's God's design. The question is, will we continue to give individualistically or will we participate in God's collective way? Listen, if you are not yet giving, here's my encouragement, start giving. Start giving what you can, all right? Um, there's QR codes we make readily available. You can get online, get on the app. Give what you can. But really the great starting point is learning to tithe, giving that first 10%. And I'm so encouraged in recent weeks, we've had so many people, brand new people who have begun the journey of giving in a regular way and tithing. And we're so grateful for so many of you who have begun that journey. It is a great gift and grace in your life to learn to begin giving. But if you're already tithing, my encouragement would be, how could you begin to shift a mindset to not just give the minimum, but to give as much as you possibly can? How could you continue to grow in giving? And how could you do that through the local church? If you want to know how you're giving week in, week out, it's not like a black hole when you put money in the basket. You can actually see how you're giving week in, week out actually makes incredible kingdom investments. Investing in students knowing Jesus on our campuses, investing in discipleship, investing in the work of local mercy and ministry, investing in uh, mission. We can help you know, and if you're looking for extra ways to give, there's a list of things that are waiting to be funded that are eternally impactful things. We'd be glad to help you connect with those things as well. Learn to give joyfully and generously through the local church. There's gonna be a sheet handed to you as you leave today, and I'm about to close, but there's gonna be a sheet handed to you at the door that is just a piece of paper front and back. It is our statement written several years back on biblical giving. It's a vision for joyful generosity. I would encourage you, take this home as a resource for you. There's QR codes on it to begin the giving journey. If you have not done so yet, you can scan the QR code and look at opportunities for you there. But there, is, there are these statements on the back of the sheet that reflect the heart of what I've taught in this series. And I hope maybe you'll think about reading this later, saving it, maybe scanning it, take a picture of it, put it in your phone, or if you want a PDF, email us and let us know. But allow these truths from this series to not just be a few weeks of, oh, that was exciting, but rather let these things saturate into your hearts and infiltrate the practice of your life such that you can use your money for great impact and increasing joy. Through giving, we are invited to see that our money is best used in light of eternity to maximize kingdom return and reward. The world's gonna look at you and think, that's crazy. As Tad and our worship team come, I, I just wanna go, I, I, I recognize that doing this God's way is, is crazy. People are gonna look at you and go, that doesn't make any sense. And it may not in terms of the world, but it makes all the sense as you think about God and the things that matter most. Jesus told a parables to his disciples in Matthew chapter 13, and starting in verse 44, where he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes with all that he has, he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of the pearl, who upon finding one of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. What Jesus is saying is, hey, when you really get this, nothing will stop you. Like when you really get that what he's offering to you here as he's talking to you about money is the greatest grace to learn to use money God's way. It is the best. When you really get it, you will give everything. You won't hold back, but you'll joyfully pursue the very things that God has for you. I wanna pray for you to that end and we'll sing this final song. Father, we thank you for the ways that you are chasing our hearts. And we pray God today that you would give grace to each here. Lord, that today 
we would desire to align the use of our resources with the things that matter most, that we would desire to give the maximum and not the minimum, that we would desire to invest in kingdom causes that will last into eternity, and God, that we will desire to do it through our local church, because in doing that, there's great opportunity for great return and reward. Father, thank you. Thank you for the things that you've spoken today. We commit it to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.